This is Defenders TV Podcast, episode 147, where we're talking about Jessica Jones, season 2, episode 9, a.k.a. Shark in the Bathtub, Monster in the Bed. What's up, fellow Defenders? It is I, Chris one of your hosts, and we are here on episode 147, talking about Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 9, a.k.a. Shark in the Bathtub, Monster in the Bed. And trust me when I say this, you do not want to swap switch, swap those around, because that could get painful. That really could. <laughs> A shark in the in the bed? Yes. Uh, Fishy bed is not good. No, it's definitely not. And a monster, tentacle monster in the bathtub. No. I've seen that film. It's called Slither. <laughs> yes. I definitely wouldn't want either of these. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello, I am one of your other hosts, John. Gentlemen, 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 thank you so much for covering my ass last week. Um, or I should say last episode. Um, unfortunately, I could not be there to record. Um, but as always, you filled it in and what an episode it was. But now I'm back, so of course I'm back and I take control of the raids, because that's what the fun thing to do is. That's it, exactly. Yeah. Be the controlling friend. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did say at the beginning of doing Jessica Jones that when we move to two episodes a week, that unfortunately not all of us would be here for those episodes. Um, so we did have to do episode eight on our own without Chris. Uh, we may have one more episode like that coming up before the end of the season, but that's okay. We're, we're enjoying covering it anyway. Yes, just remember, all I want you to do, Derek, as the producer slash seducer, <laughs> uh, just, I want you to record or just insert the lonely um, Incredible Hulk music when just after you tell people that I'm not there. Da, da, da. They can just imagine me walking into the distance, getting deeper and further away. No, no, copyright, copyright, can't do that. Okay, okay, well, just fellow defenders, imagine that. That's what you can do. Basically, imagine them walking into the subject. We always make sure that we talk about tropes, though, Chris, when you're not here. Yeah, because <laughs> who, who else could talk about it other than I? Gentlemen, I think it's about time we get into this, because I want to quickly go into some feedback we received um, and then get into our usual case notes. But before that, fellow defenders, we've had 147 episodes. We're nearly at 150. Mm-hmm. If you do not know where to find us by now, please go over to DefendersTVPodcast.com. You'll find us on our socials there. You'll find our links to the, the podcast, but also find the iTunes or the Apple podcast, I should say, at this point. Apple Tunes? I think Apple Tunes is... Um, doesn't that help clear your nose and soothe your throat? <laughs> ah, there we go. <laughs> but yes, fellow friends, if you want to go and find out where we are, what we're up to, comment along, talk to us. That is the place to go. And there is also a page over there that has our coverage of Doctor Strange Damnation. Just click the link. You'll see all of the podcasts that are covering the 15-issue series Doctor Strange Damnation, including ourselves, Into the Night, a Moonlight podcast, Sons of the Dragon, the Immortal Iron Fist podcast, and Inner Demons, the Ghost Rider podcast, all covering a wonderful comic book series uh, featuring our favorite character from that series anyway, Doctor Strange. Yes, well, my favourite character. Okay. Yes, I, I've kind of hijacked the podcast for Doctor Strange purposes. That's all right. We've done that before. Yes, exactly. Yes, and then before we jump into the feedback, don't forget, fellow defenders, we know you love Marvel. We know you love podcasts. So we partnered up with Stitcher that we can give you one month free Stitcher Premium, where you can listen to Wolverine: The Long Night, which has our, uh, or we should say, John's favourite Armitage. Um, Richard Armitage? Yes, Richard Armitage. Uh, that's just another way of saying his name. 
It's like tomato, tomato, potato, potato. I think this is a scone versus scone thing. I think this is maybe a southern English accent would say Armitage. Or maybe a French one. <laughs> but yes, all you need to go do to avail of our lovely uh, special discount for you guys is go over to stitcher.com forward slash premium and enter the code DEFENDERS. Uh, this code lasts you up until September 2018. So if you're listening to us after that point, unfortunately, the offer is over. But I'm pretty sure if you skip to our most current episode, we'll have another cool giveaway prize, something to say thank you to our fellow defenders. You never know. Gentlemen, I think it's time we get on to some feedback. Yeah, definitely. So first up, we have a long-time listener email, which again, you can get us at feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. And... It's Lieutenant Floby, and she went on to say, Hello, Defenders. Just finished watching episode one of season two of Jessica Jones. Great way to start the new season. I have enjoyed all the Marvel Netflix show, but Jessica Jones continues to be the most compelling. The writing is excellent, and Kristen Ritter is perfect. Look forward to another great season. Lieutenant Floby, thank you so much for your feedback there. And yes, I think we've talked about it nearly every episode that we've covered. Um, it, the writing is excellent. Um, but yeah, no, glad to have you with us. And don't forget, on the very last episode, come back to us and tell us your thoughts once you finish the season. Yeah, really hope you've been enjoying the podcast about the episode as well. On Facebook, we got some feedback about episode six, a.k.a. FaceTime. Robert Phillips says, I think to me the arc seems to be at this point to be all about refashioning your life by making your own choices. Trish, Malcolm, the Super, Jessica, and maybe even Mr. Hosier have done this. <laughs> Is it a way of compare and contrast with how being unable to make choices was dreadful, but freedoms don't always lead to joy? He says, I also didn't see the mum or Hellcat rebound sex coming at all. What an episode. Yes, Bob, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, the rebound sex coming, did not expect that at all. But just as a, a phrase, uh, when you are writing your feedback, don't put the mum and Hellcat rebound sex coming because that just sounded so confusing and i was just did i miss part of an episode <laughs> uh john did you see this part no i didn't uh, and i'm glad i didn't no one ever needs to see parent sex <laughs> but the rebound sex was a bit of a surprise um i think to all of us who weren't expecting that with uh, with malcolm and hellcat but it's a good job we got it our next bit of feedback comes from jeff child's They've ramped up the amount of gratuitous sex this season. It feels like filler. Doesn't really advance the story. There certainly is a lot more sex out there in this season. I think some of it is interesting just to see how the relationships move from that. I mean, I think really, um, you know, with Malcolm and Trish, I think things don't necessarily end up happy ever after uh, later on. And of course, with Oscar and... Jessica, who knows where that is going to lead to. I'm not sure if it's ramped up this season, though. If I think back to season one, certainly remember uh, a lot with Jessica and Luke Cage. And um, there was a lot going on throughout the season, the first season. So I don't know whether it's been ramped up, but it seems to have all been in one particular episode this season, maybe. Yeah, Jeff, that's a quite an interesting uh, opinion. I don't think it's actually filler. In the last season, there was a lot more implied sex, whereas in this season, there's a lot more... Uh, literally in your face it's there it's kind of but it's not i don't think it's point is supposed to advance the story it's supposed to advance the relationships between the characters mm -hmm. thanks so much for the feedback on episode six 
Over on Facebook about episode seven, uh, some feedback from Jeff Childs. This was like the 11 centric episode of Stranger Things. It didn't advance the plot much, but gives you so much character development. It's a love it or hate it episode. Like the Stranger Things episode, I loved it, but it does spoil the pacing of the season. Jeff's talking about the flashback episodes, uh, episode seven. I hear what you're cray cray. Absolutely. I think to take such a large chunk of time from the, 13 episodes series um yeah it's going to be one of those things where you either love it or hate it mm-hmm. i certainly felt it was slow and interrupted the pacing but i know um as i said on the podcast it i felt after discussing it through um i i got more positive about it and and i think fundamentally for this um as you say jeff that it's so much about character development you really need that between uh, Jessica and her mum because of the 17 year gap. And certainly I think with the following episode, um, eight and nine, then you kind of do get to see, um, how that kind of plays out mm-hmm. for sure. And I'll totally agree with you about the strange things episode. I really enjoyed it. I heard weird comments that it ruined the season. I didn't, I didn't see that myself, but I uh, don't want to spoil stranger things on this particular podcast. That's an upcoming podcast, apparently. <laughs> there are some great Stranger Things podcasts out there. We probably won't be doing that uh, on our one. And thanks so much for that feedback, Jeff. Alex Anderson in, over on Facebook had this to say about Episode 7, a.k.a. I want your cray-cray. I'll tell you what gets my cray-cray. <laughs> Whenever the bad guy is able to sneak up behind the hero and neutralize him with just a needle, I just hate it. Still enjoyed this episode and the background of Jessica and Trisha's relationship we got. Yeah, no, I can get it. I get it. You would think with enhanced strength that comes and healing comes some form of like enhanced senses, but I suppose that's just kind of spidey at this point. <laughs> maybe, um, but he has had training for 17 years with her mother who's has the same powers. So maybe he's just learned a way to sneak up on parrot people. <laughs> <laughs> just it's like it's Elmer Fudd. I'm hunting Wabbit. And he just kind of tiptoes forward. (laughs) Thank you so much for your feedback, Alex. Absolutely. Thank you so much, everyone, for the feedback. So, Derek, what are some of the episode details for this episode of Jessica Jones, a.k.a. Shark in the Bathtub, Monster in the Bed? Yep, this episode was written by Jenny Klein. Jenny Klein has written tons of Supernatural. Uh, the TV show. She also has two episodes of the upcoming Cloak and Dagger TV show coming from Marvel. Just premiered a couple of weeks ago um, over at South by Southwest. There's been a, a showing of the show, apparently looking pretty good. So looking forward to checking that one out. And the episode was directed by Rosemary Rodriguez, our favorite director, I think, from Jessica Jones season one, because she directed our favorite episode, 1000 Cuts. Yes, that was phenomenal. It was an excellent, excellent episode. Yeah, very Jerry centric. Absolutely. Love Jerry. But she wasn't being very nice at that moment. No. Uh, it's quite it's quite a nice piece that she came back and did this episode, just from what we'll get to, as John will give us in the synopsis now, is there is some Jerry moments in it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Uh, Rosemary also directed a number of episodes of Walking Dead. Some of the best episodes of The Walking Dead has been, have been directed by her as well. So uh, lots of experience and great to see her back for Jessica Jones Season 2. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for this episode? Sure. With the gunshots still ringing out, the shooter, Cheng, makes a run for it with Elisa hot on his heels. Thankfully, Jessica gets hold of him first. Knocked out and drugged up in the bathtub, Jessica tries to convince Alicia to find a different solution from murder, as the shooting forces Jessica to rethink her plans. 
Meanwhile, Ryback is released from prison and attempts to heal Hogarth. Malcolm is still in the wind after taking the IGH drug, and druggy Trish quits her radio show live on air, only to be offered a new job as a TV anchor just as her IGH pick-me-up runs out. Oscar asks Jessica for help with a family crisis after his ex-wife kidnaps their son, Vito. The mother and daughter partnership rescue Oscar's son, and Alicia sees the potential of a life together with Jessica. But murderous thoughts return to Alicia as her dream is threatened by Cheng. Back at the apartment, Jessica frees Cheng and calls the police as Alicia is forced to surrender herself to the NYPD. Murderous thoughts abound throughout this episode. These discussions between Jessica and Alyssa are form the funniest parts of the episode for me, I have to say. Um, if you think about your own mother's relationship with you, I think there's, you'd never have this conversation with your mother, hopefully, where it's, do we just talk him out of this or do we just kill him straight away? He'll never feel that he's asleep. Uh, there are great moments in there, which kind of brings us on to our case note number one, kidnapping versus murder. Yeah, I mean, we, we see here that Cheng is the shooter. Mm. Um, I was really surprised by that. I thought this was going to be someone who we hadn't seen before, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I was not expecting Cheng. And I can kind of see some of his motives and rationale here. But part of it did feel flat that he was the shark in the bathtub. Um, ultimately, when when you you read the, the episode title literally... Um, and I, I really kind of struggled with the debate between uh, Alicia and Jessica as a result. Um, I absolutely loved the debate. I just wish it had been um, for a bigger bad uh, than Cheng, uh, to be honest. I don't know if he's really been developed as well as he can be. And I'm not entirely sure that, um, you know, he's going about things the right way, certainly for a private investigator. So it was kind of very much like, uh, you know, to be or not to be questions going on. You know, do do we run or not run? Do we murder him or not murder him? Or do we, you know, just kidnap him and drug him up or or not? Um, but I loved the interplay between um, Alicia and Jessica for absolute sure. And I actually thought that it, it made the episode really quite intimate. You know, it... There were a lot of intimate moments with them where they were talking about the family. And again, a continuation of almost of when they were locked up in the, the cellar uh, at Dr. Carl's house. So, mm -hmm. um, I, I really enjoyed those moments between, um, Jessica and Alicia throughout this episode. Yeah. So I have two points on just kidnapping versus murder. I did not enjoy the reveal of it being Bryce Chang. Uh huh. And Derek, we're going to have to discuss this now a bit back and forth, okay? Uh -huh. Because I do not feel that he is relevant enough for him to be come back in now. The last we saw him was yelling at Jessica coming out of the police station. Yes, I think had this happened directly after we find him finding out about his closest friend, his closest ally being slaughtered by Alyssa, ripping him apart in the back of a van after he'd gone and done a job for Chang. Like that, I do think is proper justification for where he's going for this character. It does, it, it, you understand why he would want to take out Alyssa because he doesn't want, he says he doesn't want any of the police to die by trying to take him in. So he's going to use this idea of being a sniper from across the road to take her out. That all is justified, but it happened so long ago in the show that you kind of forget that motivation until he tells you it later on in the episode. And it's so far into the episode. It's like in the 50th minute when he's finally woken up at the bathtub and goes, you're okay, Jessica, but your mother isn't safe. You go, oh yeah, okay, I kind of get, and now I get why 
he's going after. But because you don't remember it instantly at the beginning, you're wondering the whole time going, why is, why have they tied him up in a bathtub? Why is he going after on a killing spree? Why has he got, has he gone crazy? Is there something else going on here? But yeah, I, I get what you mean. It's not that I don't find it justifiable. I think I was just expecting maybe this was Bullseye coming into Jessica Jones, the series. This was why a shot was ringing out against Jessica, as I thought, as we mentioned last episode, John, I thought this shot was intended for Jessica and she does get hit. You know, I didn't put two and two together immediately that, of course, he's going on a revenge against Jessica's mom, Melissa, because of what happened. I think this is an open question, really, because I wasn't entirely sure whether or how he had found out about um Jessica's mom being the person that had uh, ripped apart his, his his friend. Like, he heard... Um, all the, the banging and the murderous rage going on in the, in the back of the, the van. And I thought he thought it was Jessica. And so I assumed that he was going after Jessica as well, trying to shoot her, thinking she had done it. And then he learns that it's his mom in this episode, yet he's kind of saying, I was going after your mom. So I'm not entirely sure I know where Price Cheng has found out that this lady who has been keeping herself secret has been locked down in a cellar um, that she's the one responsible for the death of his friend. And secondly, like he's a PI, like, so investigate it. See, let's see him investigating it. Yeah. Uh, whereas it just seems like you move from certain points where assumptions have been made in between as to how he's thought about it. And then for me, the, the final point is that he actually did send his friend to go and steal from Jessica, both in terms of her investigations. And so, like, A, he was doing something completely illegally. uh, And secondly, his friend would never have been there to have been ripped to shreds by Alicia. So uh, there's an element where maybe he is trying to deflect his own feeling of responsibility about this just purely onto Alicia, but we've not heard that yet. So at the moment, I'm kind of like going, I don't really know how to feel about this and maybe this the the next episode will shed some light on cheng but i mean to begin with um as the cheng storyline developed i actually just thought he was uh, connected with jerry um and it was to do with jerry connecting back in with jessica jones and then then after that had happened with with inez and and, and so on that then really cheng kind of faded away a bit and then all of a sudden he's the big bad shooter so it's just really confusing to me that they've used him in this way and maybe not given him a bit more airtime uh through the previous uh episodes to be honest again i think if this shot had rang out in episode six just an episode after he'd been there you'd kind of go, okay, this is fine. I get it. I get why he's on the trail. We heard that he will never give up on this from Jerry. She said, she says to him to give up. He's lost. You hear that he won't. He comes back after Jessica's in prison and attacks, uh, uh, tries to shout at her effectively as to, as to why Jerry's gotten her out. There's all of those bits and then he just disappears. But he is always in the background, but he's not a villain like in some of the other shows like Daredevil, who's in the background and doesn't come back for two or three more episodes. It just feels a bit weird. Yeah, it almost speaks to what Jeff Child says uh, in the feedback, which is that because you have the flashback episode, uh, you are, that is a really good episode, but you are taken out of the story. So 
um, the urgency of Cheng maybe looking to kill Jessica or finding out about his mom has been lost. Um, you know, because maybe it's a, a rage thing and, and he can't control himself. It's become impulsive and that's why he's gone after um, Jessica or Alicia with this gun. Uh, but because you've had those couple of episodes in between, it's lost the urgency of him ultimately why he would do that, his rationale. Yeah, and I think that's what it comes down to. He was, he's been underutilized and then we haven't heard from him since. And I suppose it was almost slightly as a, as a way to make you think he was going to be a bigger character than he was in the beginning. Um, it was like, oh my God, this bad PI is going to try and take over Jessica. Oh, look how bad he is. And then they kind of, we all focused on him and then didn't look out the other direction. And Derek, you've hit the nail on the head. If this had happened directly after the death of his best friend from the military, then it would have made sense. Mm-hmm. I'm just more hoping like it was someone from IGH or from the military. Yeah. Um, because, and this kind of brings it to the very end of case not one, right? Jessica turns in her mom. Uh-huh. I'm sorry, uh, John, you just to, to comment on what you said. No, the interactions between Alyssa and Jessica in this were fantastic. Like it was really, it was a fantastic, beautiful mother daughter back and forth with some, with some psychology in between just to make things better. And yay, everything's not going to be better, but you can see some of the wounds are healing. At the end of the episode, Jessica turns in Alyssa. Yeah. Gentlemen, we're at the end of episode nine. Mm-hmm. And in theory, our big bad is gone. Maybe. In theory, she's going to the raft. Yeah. <laughs> so I am confuzzled as hell <laughs> because I don't know where they're going. And I, I love that and I bloody hate it because there is not one person I can go, do you know what? Like, they need to go find that person. Uh-huh. Now, potentially, Dr. Carl is going to be uh, very annoyed that Jessica turned in his the love of his life. So, But then maybe he's been experimenting on himself. I don't know. Where, maybe that's the big part. I don't know. But as of right now, like, we've got one open storyline, which is Trish and the Inhaler. Yeah. Uh, other than that, they've wrapped up everything. And I think this comes yeah. back, and I, I'm going to leave a lot of this for my defense. Um, for something that has slight pacing issues, like, this is the perfect wrap-up. If you had added two more scenes at the end of this mm. to go, oh, now she's going to the raft, yada, yada, yada. Well, and we, we then see Jessica in two months after she's now dealing with her mother. It being in the raft and dealing with her anger issues. That is the end of the season. I think there's been enough mention in this particular episode during these discussions, particularly about, yes, there is the raft out there, but does Jessica want her mother to go to the raft? Probably not. And then can her mother be just put into a normal prison or a max security, a super max prison, as, uh, as Jerry calls them? And will they be able to keep hold of her? Hmm, probably not. So now we've got a few episodes to experience what may happen when Alyssa is sent to some form of prison, whether that be the raft or a supermax prison. So I have a feeling if it's in a supermax prison, punched through the wall and she gets out, it's not going to be too difficult for her to get back out again. We had this type of thing with uh, Kilgrave in season one, where, you know, from episode seven onwards, Jessica's using different methods to try and get rid of him off the streets rather than killing him. So we saw that a few times throughout the season. And then 
the final result at the end of the season was she knew there was nothing else she could do other than kill him to take him off the streets. So I don't think they've ended the show. Realistically, she's kneeling on the ground because the cops are there with guns and her daughter is telling her to. But does that mean in 10 minutes time she's not going to punch a couple of cops and run away? I don't know. We'll see. We'll see next episode. Yeah, because I was wondering whether she was going to kind of just take off from the the sidewalk and, and jump th- across the buildings to escape or or fly, if you will. Um, Thank I, you. Thank I, you. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it was really interesting. You know, you have this intimate stuff going between uh, Alicia and Jessica, and then Jessica calls the police. She's hearing Jessica call the police through the door. Cheng escapes. She goes after him. Jessica's kind of like trying everything to stop her from going after Cheng to kill him. Because I really do like, um, I do like that comment that's made earlier in the episode where, you know, Alicia wants to kill Cheng anyway because of, um, he's just going to come after. He's going to call the police. Um, and Jessica goes, if you lay one finger on him, you're dead to me again, (laughs) which I think was really good. So you have all these moments through the course of this episode. And then you have that moment in the hallway where she punches Jessica to the floor Mm -hmm. and is about to kind of do her normal killer stonking move um, with another punch to the face. And Jessica's shouting mom uh, up. And then that moment... Uh, where the police are surrounded and she's just pleading with her mum to effectively calm down and really just don't do anything stupid. Yeah. And I loved the final uh, pan up of that camera uh, and on uh, Janet McTeer's, uh, her whole body was just flashing uh, with blue, red and white from the, the police lights. It was just really, really good. I just thought it was a great shot where it's overhead and with the flashing. It it was superb. And I think that struggle of her wanting to probably just plow into the police officers or escape uh, or maybe kill some of them um, is just tempered by Jessica and what she's just done in that hallway where she almost killed her own daughter. And so I just thought that was a really nice element. Yeah, yeah. Could probably talk about this particular point for all of the rest of the podcast. Yes, but I think we do need to move on. So, gentlemen, let's let's talk about Jerry. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a cake note number two, but I also want to bring in case note number three as well. I want to combine them into a, a large case note, if you will. Um, and that is Jay, Jerry starts to make future plans, and did Jerry just get healed? A cure for Hogarth. But first, let's let's talk about the first part of that, which is Jerry starts to make future plans. Yeah, yeah. I love that moment where Jerry goes black for life as she's going through all her her black dresses, mm-hmm. um, skirts, her clothes, um, and she's having that conversation with Inez. Um, and you hear that she, you know, when she was eight, she went to a funeral in yellow, but day to day she she was black, and she she's. All upbeat, as you say, Chris, you know, she's making uh, these future plans. um, And I just really, really enjoyed seeing Jerry and Inez having this conversation. And not only is she making uh, future plans, but, you know, she comes into the defense of Inez because you do get um, a whacked out Trish at the door who's kind of becoming increasingly obsessed over this case. Uh, and you you see Jerry step up to her. Um, you know, I, we're not going to dangle her over the shark tank. Why don't you 
do that to Jessica. And you have that really nice moment where Inez goes kind of fairly sultry with, hey, fancy lawyer pants, because she knows that she's just been defended by Jerry. Uh, Jerry's leapt to her defense. She's really saying, you know, Trish, just get out. What are you doing? Because Trish is just obsessing about this case. And I I really, really like that. And there's a really nice moment just before Rybeck comes into the bedroom where she says, whatever happens, I hope you stick around to Inez. Um, and I was just like punching the air, basically doing a Tom Cruise um, on the sofa because <laughs> I was pretty happy. Derek obviously filled in for Oprah Winfrey as he does um, from time to time. And yes, it was it was superb. I really, really like that moment. It, it, it just felt so uplifting. Uh, certainly when you know where Jerry's been from, how dark she is, not just with the ALS, but, you know, we talked about a thousand cuts there. Um, so I, I really, really enjoyed this. So I, I'm really hoping we have a, a, a Jerry Inez, uh, Sanga. And also where you know where Inez has come from as well, because at the beginning of the episode where Jerry's making plans about saying, you know, we should go to Japan together. We should see that country. Um, and Inez is going, I know how quickly you're going to dump me the minute that he comes in and, and cures you, you know, knowing that she's got that in the back of her head and thinking she's going to be dumped immediately once Jerry doesn't need her anymore. It's kind of cool to see that moment between the two of them where Inez realizes that Jerry does genuinely care for her. Does she? We've seen Jerry be very um, manipulative. Oh, absolutely. And I don't know if she's fooling herself in this. I don't know if we'll see the old Jerry by the end of this season. We we may. I think this may be one of those life-changing events for Jerry. And Inez does call that out. Inez does say to her, you're a user. That's why she doesn't trust her. And she says, you're a user, and I know that because I am too. So I have a feeling that they're they're hitting a level playing field between the two of them by the end of this episode. We're having that moment where Jerry is realizing Inez is actually the right person for her, and Inez is starting to trust Jerry. So yeah. you never know how it's going to end the season, of course. But exactly. I think as of right now in this episode, we're seeing them come much closer together than we have in the past. Okay, but then let's just say by the end of the season, uh Based on Jerry's look, uh, Inez will either be dead or in jail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. It, it's going to be one or the other. I hope that doesn't happen, but I, I think it may not end up being happy ever after for Jerry. And that could be to do with maybe, you know, this relationship that's formed between Jerry and Inez. Um, however slightly dysfunctional it started off as, I think that's why it has maybe grown a bit more solidity to it because because of that. But, I mean, one of the interesting things as well here, Inez says that this didn't always work as well. Yeah. So with Shane Ryback putting his hands onto Jerry to heal her, now it kind of looks like something's happening because Jerry is certainly feeling something. She's really emotional. She's crying. So it's not to say that it's not going to work, but this has not always worked in the past. So... Mm. What will happen? Will she miraculously recover or will she still be afflicted with, with ALS after it? And also what will happen with Ryback? You know, does he somehow take it and absorb it and it, and it affects him for a while? You know, cause it's a terminal illness and mm-hmm. it's different from correcting maybe a broken back. So it'll be interesting. I know he does explain when Jerry picks him up from the, from the 
prison. Uh, he does explain that every time he does this, it takes days or weeks or months or years off his life, depending what it is that he's doing. But surely curing a terminal illness is probably the biggest thing he's done. So will, how many years is this going to take off his life? Is he just going to be, you know, out the door and he drops dead, you know, or is it that he only has 10 years left or 20 years left? How, are we going to get a resolution to that? Will we, will we know something about that in the future? But it is interesting that they have effectively brought Iron Fist's magic and Doctor Strange magic into the most grounded of all of the Netflix series, Jessica Jones, who you have a man who's able to put his hands on someone and cure them of an illness. That's something that hasn't been seen outside of The Defenders and Iron Fist on TV or, you know, a little bit of, of Daredevil um, where we had the people coming back from the dead. But we haven't really seen that in Jessica Jones before. So it's quite a, it's quite a departure to have someone that powerful. I know we've had experiments, we've had operations, we've had superpowers, but we haven't seen this type of power used on the show, I suppose. Yeah, okay, I agree with you. Um, I was going to jump in there and go, actually, it's not magic, though. I think this is very much going to be a scientific thing. I think Just this like is Doctor be- Strange is a scientific thing as well. And Thor was described as magic is just science you don't understand but yeah yeah okay i I don't okay then it is not she based i think let's put it that right no i think this is going to be more maybe magic in scientific kind of way of things i'd just be intrigued at the reaction of a fan of jessica jones who's watched season one of jessica jones and season two of jessica jones and nothing else where they go what the hell just happened there that that this isn't somebody punching through walls and being super strong. This is somebody putting their hands on someone and curing them of an illness. Like that's quite a significant leap beyond the science and technology that we've seen in a lot of Jessica Jones. Well, it's very biblical, I suppose, in that Maybe. sense. But I mean, I suppose as well, it's, you know, you're right. Jessica Jones is the most grounded. Um, but she's obviously being in Defenders, as yeah. we all know. So she's in this world where those people do exist. So uh-huh. keeping her isolated from them would also be strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Doctor Strange. Um, <laughs> but also, I even think with meeting um, her mum, who has the same powers, you know, Jessica is slightly taken aback by that, yeah. in, in a sense. And in the same way that she was taken aback with, with Luke Cage and his skin of steel. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about Shane and him, the character himself. Let's yeah. Talk, rather than... And, Shane and his healing gods. Oh god, that's the, the, the that's the most terrible nickname or superhero name ever. <laughs> I think Ryback's much cooler, isn't it? Yeah, Ryback's much cooler. <laughs> yeah, but then he sounds you sound evil, Ryback. Or wrestling? Hands. Isn't Ryback a wrestler? Could be. Uh, fellow defenders, let us know. Would you be Ryback or would you be healing hands? Which is what is your de- new defender name? <laughs> yes. Anyway, Jerry was good on her word. She picks him up. Um. I like this. This is actually another one that we were kind of right with mm-hmm. in that it does healing hurts him. Yep. He was a boy. He's now a 40-year-old looking man. Um so he's had a hard life, but he's it's only been what 10 years, 17 years. I don't think we know the exact number of years since Ines had her injuries. I think it's about 5 or 6 years since the escape yep. attempt. Might be a little bit more than that, actually, because the escape attempt where Inez got her back injury was when Jessica lost her boyfriend. So that's about ten years ago, isn't it? So yeah. maybe that's maybe it's about ten. Yeah. So we, we, he was a boy then. So in theory, he should be. Say, let's say he was t- between twelve and fifteen. Maybe a boy. He was a boy, not a teenager. He was called a boy. Mm. And now he's coming out of jail, 
And this is the first time I really notice it. It's been 10 years. It's been a hard 10 years. And that's why I think that he, he mentioned that it's hard on him healing. Mm-hmm. I think it actually, as you said, John, this is, takes away hit part of his life force. Yeah. takes away yeah. part of his, whoever he is. Yeah. It speeds him up. And I think it's to do with the octopus. I think he's another experiment. Maybe, yeah, yeah. You know the way that um, I need to check this, but there are certain species that, like, you chop off an arm, they regrow. It's li- lizards and their tail. No, that's a hydra, Chris. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> Could he be hydra incarnate? I, I, I'm, I'm sure hydra is there somewhere with the octopus, to be honest. But I think that could be it. Very much, it's like his his body was mutated that he's able to heal people and himself mm-hmm. at the cost of his youth. Do you know, I think that's absolutely brilliant theory, Chris, because I heard Inez say that, and then I saw the character come out and went, how could this guy be a boy? There's no possible yeah. way. But that's a really interesting idea, that it is draining him or making him older every time this happens. So next time, after taking back this illness that, that Jerry has, is he going to be an old man the next time we see him? That's really interesting. Because he, yeah. he said a very great line and when he was about to get on the bus, mm-hmm. Jerry's there picking him up. He, he said something along the lines of, like, we're all walking towards the finish line, i.e. death. And, like, every time I heal, I jump or run yeah. Uh, yeah. forward. Um, so that's what I'm thinking. And that then takes us to where Jerry, for some reason, felt the need to get naked uh, under her silk sheets. I don't understand why. I was like, you could lie in bed fully clothed, perhaps. No? Okay. Interesting. Yeah, generally, when you're having an operation, you're naked. So it's kind of the same medical no, procedure still wear a sheet. but mm-hmm. it's having that connection isn't it i reckon like he has to touch her has to touch her skin it was fine uh, no I just, I just thought it was funny because i thought that was like oh he has to touch her skin and then he went oh no she still has the she- silk sheets on top of her yeah and then he just grabs her hand and i'm like well okay yeah, and actually, was his hands more float? Like he grabs her hands, yeah. absolutely, but or he's one of them. Over her. But he's kind of moving the hands over. Look, it's always best to get healed in bed. That's what you assume. True, true. I'm let's let's say that. But anyway, <laughs> I loved this scene. I'm sorry, it was just so good. Just the silence, and then the te- or the the music and the tears. Yeah, the cinematography, mm-hmm. the direction. Knowing in your head that, okay, I don't want to hear them talking. I don't want to hear them crying. I just want the music playing. I just want it floating over her. So it's like you're floating just above the bed. And I do like how the scene ends with Inez asking Jerry, is she okay? And then you see her just stop crying. We don't get an answer to it this episode, but it would seem that Jerry's feeling the healing power of Ryback here. Yeah, absolutely. I'm completely with you here, Chris. I loved it when Ryback healed Jerry. And for me, it's almost, is that Jerry's theme? Because it felt like the same music when Jerry and Inez were on the sofa together as right. well. It's just, it's, it's beautiful, um, strings and music to that. So, um, yeah. A little tear was shared as well from me mm-hmm. seeing this. So I'm really good. I think another. Well, lots of tears that are going to be shared from a one Trish Walker, uh, moving us onto our fourth case note. Um, because her inhaler's gone. She's going to go bonkers. She's going to go completely off the rails. Uh-huh. I'm so, so looking forward to this. I mean, she just went round 
this whole episode being a monster. She was a green-eyed monster when she sees Griffin sort of doing his thing and being successful. Yeah. She um, has an outburst at Trish Talk where she quits, She, it, which was fantastic. We have her kind of being predatory towards Inez, and then we have that realization where the puffer doesn't work anymore. Mm-hmm. Just after she's gotten her new sort of test run at, for CCN. And I just can't wait to see her. She plays a woman on the edge really, really well. Um, I just loved it. And I mean, in particular, that Trish talk one with the woman uh, talking about the dangers of gluten oh, was just fantastic this was just perfect for me i'm sorry the gluten piece was just i was like how many people does it kill and she goes well it's in the gut and it makes it really uncomfortable and i was like yes preach sister preach (laughs) um sorry i should just put a disclaimer in that yeah people in my family are celiac Mm -hmm. and stuff so i do know it is not a nice thing but it is just quite funny because you do have these certain authors or people on the internet who go who put it up there with crime who put it up and it's just well i i don't know i think this the whole point about this from trish is that she's facilitating people like that on her show and she wants to be a real news anchor or news reporter she wants to actually get to things that really matter and that's where the fun comes in to this to this episode where we have this author sitting across from her going gluten is a really terrible thing and that's when Trish is going to her, what, like war or cancer? What, where would you rank it as the most important thing? And she's there to talk about and sell her book. So, of course, she's going to say it's a really bad thing. But it's not. It's not that bad in comparison to all of the other things that Trish could be using the platform she has to deal with and help. So Trish's answer to her is, no, it's like not having volume in your hair. That's what not ha- what having gluten in your body does to you. And I'm the same as yourself, Chris. I know people who are celiacs, and I know how annoyed they get at people that use the fad of taking gluten out of your diet as a dietary tool because all of them want to eat gluten. All of them are going, I wish I could have a cake today. I wish I could have some flour like I used to be able to have, but I have to deny myself all of this because it can genuinely kill me. But everybody else is taking it as the new step to lose weight. Of course, that must be frustrating for them. And I love that it's just being cut apart here by Trish going, I am not going to talk about clothes anymore. I'm not going to talk about fashion, all that stuff. I've been facilitating all of you sitting on your hands, listening to my radio show, when actually we could have all bound together and tackled some real problems, like the one that Griffin's reporting about in Aleppo. I think that's a really good moment for her. I love that she stands up and says, I quit, and then goes, yes, after she walks out, realizing it's the right decision for her. Yeah, I mean, you just see her rising frustration throughout this episode. You know, she's frustrated with Jessica for dropping this case that she has used to build her platform on Trish Talk away Mm -hmm. from these things. Um, And then, you know, she goes after Inez, and then she sees her ex-boyfriend doing real reporting as she sees it and then she gets frustrated again and quits her job i just love how she sort of put that across and i thought yeah really really good and when jessica's saying she's dropping the case she goes it's not like missing brunch like she really wants to sort of do this Uh, and that was a really nice moment between the two of them anyway because jessica notices that she's high and that she's going into relapse but she's got her mum to deal with at the same time 
Jessica is kind of launching back at her. What if, you know, what if I want to be done? When do I get to be normal mm-hmm. to Trish? Um, you know, that Trish is saying it's, it's my lifestyle. I'm, I'm a celebrity. This is why uh, these things happen. And Jessica's like, well, I want to be normal as well. It's for a different reason. I think, you know, there's the retorts back from Trish as well. When Jessica notices that she's kind of bit in relapse and she's going, well, have you had a drink today? Yeah. Uh, Jessica's response is, I'm always drunk. That's yeah, not the problem. Exactly. Here. The problem is that you're high and you're supposed to be off at all. Yeah. You need to call your sponsor. It is a hugely important moment here for these characters because since they reconnected many years ago, Jess has been the one that's been taking care of Trish when these things happen to her. And we have the voiceover from, from Jessica going, I can't handle this. I can't handle her and do this. And it's the worst thing. I have to let my friend go because I need to deal with this other issue with my mother. If my mother wasn't around, I'd be able to take care of her kind of thing. So it is really important in the episode. Yeah, we've seen this coming for a while. We knew the inhaler was not bottomless. Mm-hmm. We, we knew that Trish was becoming an addict again. We've seen this decline. And I'm really interested to see where it goes because the doctor who's been making this for Will Simpson is dead. Mm-hmm. Will Simpson is dead. We know that Dr. Carl has said that Kozlov took all that research to the army. Mm-hmm. And that's all we know. So I actually, I, I talked about how I thought this was almost the end of, this could have been the end of the season in terms of the storyline. This is, the next storyline. Exactly. Yeah. Trish is about to die because she needs a hit. And she basically goes, she turns, she goes through withdrawals to the point where basically it's almost going to kill her. Mm-hmm. I think that's where the storyline is going. Um, but the crappiest part about this is I really wanted Trish to get on TV. I wanted ZCN. I thought that was going to be cool, but she has an interview with them tomorrow. Yeah, that's going to be fun. We've seen her just go down to nothing within a couple of hours mm-hmm. without a hit. So like this is like 24 hours. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I bet she regrets giving that hit to Malcolm last episode now. Yeah, and speaking of Malcolm, where is he? Because he's in the wind uh, here after he ran down the alleyway. There's some kind of excuse that's made to, to Trish uh, by Jessica saying that he's gone to visit his parents. But that, I think, is a pure sort of lie from Jessica's point of view to cover up the fact that her mum is there and you have Cheng in the bathtub. So Malcolm's still there. I really want to see what Malcolm is doing. Is he kind of like curled up in a ball somewhere in a forest out in upstate New York? Or like, where is he? I thought when Alyssa and Jessica were having the fight in the hallway, they were going to bust through his door and they're going to find Malcolm on the floor inside inside his, his room. Just because they were going back and forth and hitting off Malcolm's door, I thought there was going to be just that moment. But it's interesting. I like the fact they mentioned that he's going to see his parents because remember my theory from a couple of episodes ago, there's something interesting between Malcolm and his parents, but probably not. It's probably just one of those things that adds layers to his character that he obviously has parents and he does occasionally see them. That's all. I love the way he actually has parents. That are alive. It's like, you know. it's like he's, he's not just a macular conception. In this universe, how many of our characters don't have parents or have parents have already died? Pretty much all of the main heroes have lost their parents over time. So having two parents at home that you can go and visit for Sunday lunch is really unusual in this world, and Malcolm does. It's revolutionary. superpower. Yeah, exactly. It, it's revolutionary storytelling. It is, it is. <laughs> From one running man to two running women and a greyhound bus, <laughs> should we talk about Oscar and the case of his missing son uh, as our final case note for this episode? Yeah, this was interesting to see Sonia back again blaming the superhero in the building for 
the influence it could have on Vita. So she's already had that moment before where she's reacted really badly to having Jessica Jones in the building. As we know, Oscar had that reaction to her to begin with. But then when she arrives at the apartment to bring back Vito, nothing worse could happen than walking into the apartment, seeing broken glass everywhere, seeing gunshots everywhere. So I kind of understand Sonia's reaction here to get her child as far away from this as possible. I kind of get it. I'm a Jessica Jones fan. But in the real world, if I walked up to a door in someone's house that has already caused a bunch of trouble, of course, I'm going to try and get my six year old son or 10 year old son away from that situation. I kind of get it. Yeah, I mean, I think um, here it, it's that moment of bonding um, as well with Alicia and Jessica here in, in terms of pursuing Oscar's ex-wife mm-hmm. with with the kids. I have to say, I thought Janet McTeer's face was priceless. I absolutely broke up when she breaks the glass in the picture frame. <laughs> um, it, it's just like, whoops. It's a really uh, absolutely child look, lo- isn't it? Absolutely loved it. Indeed, you get a reference to Sterling in, in, in this moment as well. Uh, Jessica's ex-boyfriend, which I think is kind of interesting because I, I, th- I don't think enough of that tragic event has been played, uh, out between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's a really interesting thing because it is Jessica does not know what to do with her mum. And in this moment, there's there's a number of things where she says to Sonia, you know, he, as in Vito, is better off without a mother in prison. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's probably thinking, I'm the same. I don't want that. But having said that, at the same time, you know, she's wanting to kill Cheng and she goes, that's what you would do if I wasn't here. You know, is that the thing that turns Jessica to call the police? Because um, ultimately she realizes that Alicia is completely unchecked and it's only her presence that is maybe grounding it or previously with with, uh, Dr. Carl Malice. So that was a really nice crossover here with with these um, two different relationships, you know, a mother and a mother and son, a mother and daughter, uh, and obviously um, the kidnap of, of one Vito from Oscar. Yeah, I agree. And I'm, I was wondering whether it was supposed to be something that should have been teaching Alyssa the lesson here, not not Jessica. Jessica knows the lesson here. She knows that she would be happier with her mother out of prison. Alyssa doesn't learn anything here. She's still willing to just snap the neck of of Chang and then move on and run away. You know, that seems to have been what she's been doing for the last 17 years, or at least the last two or three weeks anyway, in this world that she kills anybody that gets close to her on IGH. So, um, so that's quite interesting. I was kind of expecting that Alyssa might learn something by the end of the episode, but I understand why Jessica would now turn her into the police when she realizes over and over again, this woman just keeps saying, why don't I just kill him? You don't have to worry about it. You can walk away. You don't have to see it. I'll kill him. It's like, no, no, you can't kill him, mom. But don't worry about it. I, I'll do it. It's, it's fine. You don't have to get involved. It's it's really harsh that Jessica has to have this conversation with her own mother, you know? Just imagine that had a parent-teacher's day in the day. <laughs> Say, no, no, you're failing, blah, blah, blah. Don't worry, I'll kill her. It's okay. You just walk away. You get a new teacher. I'll just kill her. It's fine. Mm-hmm. I like the fun reference that Captain America was gone. So then he knew Vito was gone. It was a fun It was a fun piece. A nice callback to the earlier episode. Yeah. It was a very much a mini detective story within a larger, more serious conversation story, which we like, we had the Alyssa and the Jessica constant back and forth about the family and who's the what, which we've already covered in this episode. Yeah. But seeing them at the end 
Like that bus scene was just fantastic. <laughs> I, really I know, yeah. I know, it was so. Uh, it, it's a trope. It was a. It's a trope and a half. Like I'm not even gonna lie. It's just like, oh no, a bus is getting away. Hold on, let me run down and pick it up with one hand. But then we get a nice spin on it that, like, you see Jessica. She kind of runs one hand. No, that's not working. Two hands. Nope, that's still not. I'm getting dragged by the bus now. Yeah. And then you see. Alyssa come down and it, like Alyssa's the one she helps. Let's say that she helps because I want to say Jessica's the best, but we know Alyssa's stronger. They do lift it off the ground, don't they? Uh, no, they uh, they pull it to a full stop, but I think the big difference that you see is on Alyssa's side, all the metal that she's been holding is crunched together because she is so much more powerful than Jessica, yeah. whereas Jessica on her side is just holding it back with her strength. Alyssa is squeezing and crushing it like she probably wanted to do to Chang all episode. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I love that. And there's a nice Easter egg, but we'll talk about that at the end of this episode. Mm-hmm. They handled this in a good way. I think so. Like, I think so. The reason that you see um, that Oscar's wife, she comes to Jessica at the end and says, I'm just, I'm worried, blah, blah, blah. And she gives her rationale. Yeah. Like, you can see, oh, okay, well, that's fine. You've also really bad at credit card debt and... You, you, your job's gone and you have to steal money in order to run away. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't even run away to Peru like you wanted to. There, You're going to Niagara Falls. Yeah. yeah. What are you going to do there? Cross the border to Canada? Mm-hmm. Um, they handled this nice, but I think that the best part is what we see at the end, which is Jessica and her mom, which brings it to the very end of the episode because Jessica knows, as you said, her mum's just a ball of anger. Yeah, yeah. She she's crushing buses, and then when she's there in front of Chang, her hands are twitching, and that's when Jessica knows. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's yeah, that is the end of our episode for this time. Again, we've got another bit of a cliffhanger here for me. This this does feel like what's going to happen next. Is she definitely going to prison? Is she going to run away? What's going to happen when she gets to prison? Will she stay behind behind the walls? Hasn't really stopped her too much before in the past. So uh, let's see what happens. I'm presuming we're going to get a fair bit more story. We've got another four episodes to go, but uh, but really interesting. Um, Chris, I think we're going to give you the big note since you haven't been here for an episode. We're going to give you the big note on the episode. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Yes, there is a beautiful Easter egg in this one. We get it every season. It's our lovable cameo from Stanley. Um, he is on the back of the bus where he's uh, doing a ad. He's a client with a quote for Forbrush and Associates, mm-hmm. which is a legal, another legal firm. Kind of, we can assume it's one of these kind of uh, ambulance chaser type ones. Maybe, but <laughs> there's even more. The fact that they're calling it Forbush is um, it's a nice nod to. When Marvel was still doing some parody comics before Howard the Duck, well, before Howard the Duck, oh, yeah. they had Forbushman, who was a guy who had no powers, who essentially just put ran around in a red uh, onesie <laughs> with a bucket on his head and a, a, a towel wrapped around his, as a cape and leather boots. Yes, I remember him well. He used to be a nut brand Eck when I was a kid. Mm. Yes. Um, but there you go. That's the big one. Um, one I liked from the last episode which I call out, is Trish raking the dude's face, yes. just like Klaus. I know you guys called it out, but 
I still love that. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, really good. I like the fact that they're both Jessica and Alicia both talk about their night terrors, um, that they both suffer from them. You know, we've had that parallel with the drinking to take the edge off. And now that they both suffer from night terrors, obviously Alicia's a little more serious. Um, and the, the idea that, you know, their, their terrors are about losing, uh, their daughter or their mother over and over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah. I thought that was really nice. Um, and in particular, as Jessica is locking, um, Alicia to the bed, she says how Carl used to, um, chain her to the bed, uh, normally as well. And <laughs> Jessica <laughs> replies with, how romantic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We will leave it there on notes. Any more notes? Only one note that I was thinking about, which was uh, it's just a little bit of a shame that ZCN, the network that Griffin works for, isn't the network that we've seen so often in the Marvel Universe, WHIH, which has been in all the movies or many of the movies, been in many of the TV shows. It would have been great to bring that in and have them as the TV network that Griffin works for and then Trish goes to work for. So that that way it would really explain if we did get a cameo from Trish Walker in a future Marvel movie that she could just be on WHIH as a new reporter for them. I thought that would have been a nice little way to tie them all in. No, that would be good. I was thinking it was CCN, actually. I didn't realize it was ZCN, but yeah, okay. Grand. I've been mispronouncing it all the way through this podcast. <laughs> However, the other thing is that um, Alicia chucks the ashes down the toilet and flushes them away. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have that really interesting conversation it's a little kind of close to being, you know, a pretty delicate conversation about who was responsible for the car crash as well, which I thought was quite nice, uh, where Alicia is blaming Brian, her husband, uh, because he couldn't drive and he wouldn't let her drive, whereas Jessica's always held on to the fact that it she thought it was her fault and the reason why um, the car crashed. Yeah. Uh, and the result of that is ashes down the loo. Mm-hmm. And it's quite interesting. Doesn't it let's just say that Carl is the one that sent the ashes to Jessica to get over the death of their family? So technically, those ashes may not be at all her family's ashes. That's what I yeah. got from it. That's why Alicia's kind of going, I'm going to throw it down the toilet because I don't even know who these are <laughs> kind of thing. But Jessica has <laughs> yeah. thought for the last 17 years that she was in possession of the ashes of her family. But yeah, weird. I know it would be terrible. And I'm calling it out. If they do it, I'm going to scream. But I'm kind of hoping that at the very end, we'll find like her brother's actually still alive, mm-hmm. and he, like Doctor Carl's like did some other tests on him, and he's X Y Z, and but her dad is actually dead, and they were his ashes. Like something along that, I think would be quite fun. It would be quite fun. Yeah, I, I kind of see that happening, like in Scream, where next season maybe her brother is the main villain, and then the season after that, her father comes back uh, to take on this. <laughs> so that could be kind of fun. And Derek, yes, I, before I bring into my final note, I do want to say, yes, that would have been an interesting Easter egg if they had it brought her over, because I would love to see Trish in the MCU. Uh-huh. Yes. Especially now that we may lose a lot of MCU characters in Affinity War. Yes. She's in the MCU. She's just not Ca- in the movies, remember, guys? Captain yeah. America is lost in the Marvel Netflix world. Vito's Captain America is lost. Will he be lost in the MCU? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. The final note and a way to just end this beautiful episode gentlemen is can we just have a 10 seconds of silence for jessica's bed because let's be fair that bed has seen some punishment mm-hmm. in the last two seasons it's been broken uh, it's been broken twice mm-hmm. by super powered people i was just like no that bed should just people like lie in it and sleep in it it's a nice <laughs> bed 
It's a yeah. nice bed, mm-hmm. but no, it just constantly gets destroyed. <laughs> but the door is still alive. That's very true. We still have not had a smashed door. There's one note that I haven't called out for nine episodes because it is the most obvious note and none of us have mentioned it. I'm surprised. Does anybody think it's kind of funny that the only major non-person of power is called Super in almost every episode? Oscar has the title of Super and nobody else has ever had that title <laughs> in any of these shows. And he's he's basically the guy that fixes your toilet, but he's called Super in this show. I just think that's quite funny that they keep doing it. And I haven't mentioned it in any of my notes so far, but I just thought that was funny. Anyway. Okay. Well, gentlemen, I think it's about time we move on to our defense. Derek. Do you defend Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 9, a.k.a. Shark in the Bathtub, Monster in the Bed? You know, I do defend this episode, and it's really because of Janet McTeer and Christian Ritter's performance throughout this. There's so many great moments with those two characters reacting off each other that I kind of feel that the writers and the director allowed it to just play out probably a bit more than I was expecting. They allowed the two of them to bounce off each other over and over throughout this episode. And it's great to watch. It's really enjoyable to watch. If we go another two years between season two and season three, these are the things that I'm going to enjoy when I rewatch Jessica Jones, the characters interacting with each other. It's not going to be about the overall story because once that's done, it's done. There's no point in rewatching the show. But having these kind of characters batter off each other constantly where Jessica's trying to calm her mother down like she's a, a naughty six-year-old child and her mother's trying to get at Jessica and say, why don't you respect me? I'm your mother. Um, that's great. It's a great little dynamic between the two of them. And we've only got four more episodes to go. So I f- this episode, originally when I saw it, I felt it was a little bit slow. Didn't have a huge amount of movement in the episodes. But I think it underli- underlying it all is the performances of these actresses and what it is filling out about their characters. So I do defend the episode overall. Chris, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones? Uh, I do, uh, but it's borderline. Um, and I should probably say that uh, my uh, defense for episode eight was borderline too. Right. And it's nothing to do with the actors. It's very much a pacing issue for me now. This felt like an episode 12 to me. Because they just wrapped this major storyline for me. And I felt, okay, the next one will just kind of get the wrap up and then that's it. I couldn't see where they're going. They're leaving one thread open. And now discussing it with you, I'm like, okay, this makes more sense. Yeah, it. But it just, for two episodes of pacing, as you said, in your defense, not a lot happened in theory. There was not massive story beats. You could have combined the last two episodes into one. Mm-hmm. And it would have been, the pacing would have been a lot brisker. Uh, you wouldn't have lost any scenes. I just think that that's where my, this is becoming an issue for me. And I'm hoping now that they've kind of got these character parts done. They're setting up the characters in the right places that the next four episodes, or at least the next three, and then the, the conclusion will be um, a lot more brisk in their pacing. That being said, Derek, I'm saying with you, the, the performances and the character development and the overall, the, the interactions between the, the Jerry and Inez, um, Jessica and her mom, um, Oscar and Jessica, like the that is why I do love this show because you do get this they are super they're dealing with big issues but you know what they they still have their own problems and I think that's why I'm kind of now borderline 
I'm like, it's yes, I defend it. It's just gone over the 50-50 mark. Mm-hmm. The only piece that I, I, I'm still a bit iffy on is the Trish addict um, storyline. Not because I think of where it's going to go, which I'm hoping I already talked about, but because they, they've done this and they're doing it too slow. Like, really too slow. Um, I just wanted to kind of kick off now. Uh, and it's just because I don't like seeing the degradation of the character of Trish. Uh, and I don't know. I think that's probably just me kind of enjoying her as a character. But when you see her falling into this pit of addiction, I'm like, no, I don't want to see this anymore. Just speed it up here now, people. Come on, come on. And I think that's more just on the writing and how good it is and the actor, how great she is. But anyway, so I do defend, but it is borderline. Cool. So, John, on that slight bombshell that I am in love with Trish and I don't want to see her hurt, do you defend this episode of Jessica Jones Season 2, Episode 9, a.k.a. Shark in the Bathtub, Monster in the Bed? Yes, I do defend this episode of Jessica Jones, but a bit like you, I'm... I'm... Uh, on the knife edge here on defending it, I would give it three gluten-free monsters out of five. <laughs> and I, I think it's, it, it's, as you say, I, I think the pacing here, I absolutely love the, the exploration of the relationships between Jessica and Alicia and also with Hogarth and Inez. I've really, really enjoyed them. Uh, unlike you, I'm really enjoying the degradation of Trish Walker. I, I think this is really, uh, intriguing to see her because you have this notion um, about her addiction in, in the past and I really liked how that linked in with Jessica here uh, where she notices that for the first time but but Trish is so frustrated about everything to do with her life is it true to her or is it the drug that's helping to fuel or intensify that frustration so it, it's really interesting to see so i loved all these elements uh, but i do think as you say i think the pacing is off and for me i'm not entirely sure i understand cheng as the shooter uh, to be honest um it's not what i was expecting to lead into after that shot through the window at the end of episode Eight. So in some ways it, it, it played with my expectations and that may in part be why it's a little lower. Um, but it's also because I think, you know, these relationships are, can still be built, but I would have loved to have seen someone who had a reason to shoot here. I, I don't think Cheng does. I don't think he would risk his professional career, given what we saw at the first, um, few episodes to murder someone or to give collateral damage. And plus, I don't know where and how he got to know that it was Alicia. Um, so for me, this is just the fact that maybe if Cheng had been written in more, we got more idea about his motivation. Maybe he was connected to IGH. You know, we know he's been in the army. Is it something to do with that? Who knows? But um, I really want this now to push on in episode 10 and really just see what happens here what's going to happen because i love exploring these relationships but i just want to know a bit more about this story now uh, that is unfolding and yeah will it be trish and her 
disintegration in some way and her rescue by Malcolm or something. Um, I hope it's more Jessica central. Absolutely. Um, but you know, still a really good episode. Lots to love in this, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, just maybe, uh, suffers from motivation of that sort of shooter in Cheng and the pacing again you're expecting it to race along here and it, it, it didn't quite so much but yeah a defend from me well that's a great defense and i love your idea about chen actually being army and being mm. going after it we didn't think about that we haven't discussed it but let's bring mm. that to the next episode we'll be back next week with our review of jessica jones season two episode 10 aka pork chop mm. Pork chop. Pork chop. <laughs> really intrigued why it's called pork chop. Every single episode of the show, I haven't really mentioned them. I used to do it with Iron Fist and with uh, Daredevil and with Punisher and all those shows. I used to actually talk about what the episode was named from, but these have all been taken as lines from the episode. So where's pork chop coming from? I'm intrigued. But looking forward to talking about the next episode when we get back to Defenders TV podcast. Thanks for joining us. As always, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go and dangle Chris over a shark tank, and then I'm going to go and catch a bus. Um, <laughs> and then I'll be back with you next time to speak with you. Okay? Yes, thank you so much. Goodbye for now. Bye.